Seven Practices of Effective Ministry, Chapters 6 and 13. Teaching the Fundamentals. I don't have to tell you that I don't know a whole lot about running a church, Pete said. But as I thought about meeting with you tonight, this next practice was the one that I wished more preachers would try. I call it Teach Less for More. Teach Less for More, Ray asked. Are you saying we need shorter sermons? Well, it probably wouldn't hurt. But no, that's not what it means. In my business career, I found that most people confuse the quantity of information communicated with the quality of implementation in the workplace. They think that the more I tell them, the better they'll do. But I have learned a very important business lesson watching my baseball team. What's that, Ray asked, as he realized for the first time that he really wanted to know. Baseball players really only need to know a few things to do their jobs. They need to know how to throw a ball, catch a ball, hit a ball, and run like mad. No matter what we tell them, if it doesn't help one of those categories, then it really doesn't help. For instance, do you see that guy playing second base? Rafael Ortega? Yeah, that's right. He doesn't speak a word of English, but he can turn a double play like no one else in the league. And he's a great leadoff hitter. My staff could knock themselves out teaching him English so he could learn the managerial strategy of baseball, not to mention the business strategy for running the team, but it wouldn't make him a better second baseman. That's narrow the focus again. Very good. I told you they were connected, but it's a little different. Narrow the focus says do one thing and do it well. Teach less for more applies that practice to the information you communicate to your people. That's why it jumped out at me when I thought about meeting with you. I went to a church my entire childhood, and do you know what I learned? What? Not a thing. I know I heard a lot of things about God, but I don't remember one of them. Maybe you didn't have good teachers. How good do you have to be to teach a child one thing? No, the problem wasn't that they couldn't teach me one thing. The problem was they tried to teach me everything. Every week was a different story and a different lesson with a different picture. All I knew is that if I sat there quietly, I'd get a cookie at the end. So you did learn something, Ray said with a smile. I get your point. We tend to think more is better when sometimes it's just more. Ray thought about this for a minute. What if we boiled it down to just the basics? You know, hitting and catching. Or in our case, loving God, loving others, and loving yourself. But don't forget to narrow the focus, Pete said. We have to focus on baseball players. You have to take those basics and focus on children, teenagers, and adults. They don't all need to know the same things. Are you sure you've never run a church before, Ray asked? I've run from church before. Does that count? Pete laughed. It's all about getting the right information to the right people in the right position. That's why we have coaches on the field during the game. A player who's batting or running the bases can't be expected to keep up with the overall strategy of the game. So we have a first base coach and a third base coach continually feeding them the information they need to be successful. Not to mention another group of coaches and a manager putting players in the right positions. As the leader of your organization, that's your job too. Practice number four, teach less for more. The ball game had continued, although Ray had hardly noticed. The excitement of the game, the field-level seats, and the VIP treatment had begun to be replaced by an excitement that Ray hadn't felt in a while. His hand ached as he scribbled down Pete's insights, as well as his own ideas of how to implement them. The problems that had haunted him earlier began to look more like challenges. Did this mean that he'd have to start over from scratch? 
Would everyone at the church think he'd lost his mind when he started talking about clarifying wins and teaching less for more? Pete, can we recap for just a second? I want to make sure I'm understanding all of this. Sure. Why don't you read back to me what you have and I'll fill in any gaps. All right. Ray said as he looked over his notes, practice one is clarify the win. And the point, Pete asked, if you give people a clear target, then they're more likely to hit it. Good. And number two, think steps, not programs, because you shouldn't start anything that doesn't get you where you want to go. Number three, Pete asked, narrow the focus. Why? Because if you try to do everything, you'll end up with nothing. Excellent. Even Pete was getting excited now. And number four, teach less for more. Because everyone doesn't need to know everything. It's more important to get the right information to the right people. You're a quick study, Ray. So is all of this overwhelming or helpful? Pete asked. Can it be both? Yeah, Pete laughed. It may help to think of the first four practices as a way of keeping your organization in alignment. Alignment? Have you ever driven a car that was out of alignment, Ray? Sure. What did it do? Well... It pulled to one side and was hard to drive. Exactly. In the same way, a church or a business needs to stay in alignment, or it can be pulled off course and become difficult to lead. But if you clarify the win, establish clear and focused steps to achieving that win, and communicate the right information to the right people, then chances are you'll stay aligned and headed in the right direction. It's funny, Ray finally said. I've either picked the right people instinctively or been really lucky with certain leaders. I have this great man who chairs the elder board, Jim. Yeah, Jim. He's a great leader for that role. He's steady and balanced. And and how did you know my chairman's name was Jim? For the first time, Pete was the speechless one. The awkward look on his face was enough to tell Ray that something was up. What's going on, Pete? Ray asked. All right. You might as well know. Do you see that skybox up by the Coca-Cola sign? Yeah. Take a look with my binoculars. Puzzled, Ray lifted the binoculars and, after a moment, found the box. Seated there in air-conditioned comfort were Joe Dickinson, Jim Benson, and the entire elder board for the Meadowland Community Church. It's easy to see how conspiracy theories get started, isn't it? Pete laughed. Don't take it personally. Most of the guys have no idea you're down here with me. They're feeling guilty about missing your meeting. Oh yeah, Ray said as he laughed through the binoculars. The guilt is plastered all over their smiling and mustard-stained faces. Ray was about to make a comment about lack of commitment until he remembered the relief he had felt when Jim called to cancel the meeting. In reality, Ray wasn't sure what to think. He didn't know the motivation of his board. Were they relieved to miss the meeting or just happy to go to a great ball game? All he knew was that he was happy to avoid the meeting and that his time with Pete had been very helpful. He knew he had to let Pete off the hook, but it was nice to see this powerful man a little on the defensive. To be honest with you, Pete, no one was happier to postpone that meeting than I. Why, Ray? Why did you dread that meeting so much? Ray knew the answer, but actually saying it was harder than he thought, because I knew that I didn't have the answers to the questions that were going to be asked. I guess Joe and Jim knew it too. What about now? Are things any clearer, or would you rather stop and enjoy the game? Pete asked sincerely. As much as he hated to admit it, Ray was wrong about Pete. How could a man who had never been to his church, and rarely to any church as far as Ray knew, understand so much about running one? Well, Ray began, why don't we go ahead and finish? 
That's why I'm here, but I warn you, the last three may be the toughest. Now you're just trying to scare me, Ray laughed. Chapter 13, practice number four, teach less for more. Say only what you need to say to the people who need to hear it. I have notebooks full of sermon outlines and Bible study notes that I wrote down while growing up in church. I'm sure my old notes still have some value, but I don't ever really use them. When I attended conferences, the speakers usually cover so much material that I leave with only a vague general feeling of conviction. I'm never really sure what I should specifically do. The fact is, I have accumulated a lot of knowledge in my life, very little of which is actually helpful on a practical level. Every day, each of us is bombarded with countless suggestions, opinions, and ideas. Hundreds of self-help books are published every year, offering similar advice on how to deal with the same problems. There are multiple steps to every goal and endless lists of things that we need to learn how to do better. Our lists have sublists. We may even find ourselves paralyzed to inaction because we don't know where to start. As we try to absorb more and more facts in this information age, we may, in fact, find we are able to know and achieve less. Information Overload My dad is primarily responsible for my love of baseball. He coached me through my Little League years, and I can still remember our hours together on the field working through drills. There are certain basic skills that I spent the majority of my time learning, but there was also a language I gradually picked up that helped me learn how to play the game. Many of these words and phrases are etched into the minds of people who have never played America's favorite pastime. Keep your eye on the ball. Use two hands to make the catch. Hit your cutoff man. Catch the ball in front of you. Just make contact. Most of these things my coaches told me were designed to help me improve in one of the four areas, hitting, throwing, catching, and running. I'm sure there were a lot of things I could have learned about baseball, but my time was spent learning how to do a few things. Can you imagine coaches spending practice time discussing the history of baseball with their players or giving a detailed lecture about how scoreboards work or the best kind of grass for sodding the infield? I'm sure my dad could have taught me a lot more about the game, but he taught me only what I needed to know to become a better player. That's what coaches are supposed to do. A good coach focuses on the fundamentals of the game. A good coach teaches you how to hit a fastball, run the bases, catch a fly ball, field a grounder, and throw someone out. And they don't waste time on anything that really doesn't help you improve your game. But what if I decided to download years of baseball knowledge to my wife? I could make flashcards for each critical phrase or draw detailed diagrams. I could list for her every scenario you may face as a player and explain what you should do in each situation. How quickly do you think she would master this knowledge when it has no relevance to her everyday life? Let's face it, you don't learn something until you really need to know it. And the greater the need, the higher the interest and the potential to actually learn. For example, I never became interested in apologetics until I had to deal with agnostic professors. I never listened to advice about marriage until after my wedding day. I never read books about parenting until my kids were born. I never learned how to do graphic design until I had to lay out my own presentations. I never compared different kinds of motorcycles until I decided to purchase one. How much do you think I would have learned about any of these things before I felt the need to learn it? Most people don't learn just so they can know more. They learn when they need to know something. 
So communicators and teachers have a critical responsibility. They must make sure they know what people really need to learn. And in some situations, they need to spend time making sure people understand why they need to learn something. It's the only way a teacher can expect any student to learn. Yet too many churches are teaching baseball lingo to people who really are not interested in the game. Or in some cases, they are trying to explain baseball history to someone who just wants to know how to get a hit and get on base. Less is more. When we say teach less for more, we mean that you should rethink what and how you communicate to your team. If narrow the focus suggests that you make a stronger impact when you do less, teach less for more implies that you drastically improve how much people learn if you teach less. That doesn't necessarily mean that you say fewer words, but rather that you narrow the scope of what you teach to cover less information. In some cases, you will actually say more about fewer things, but here's the key. The things you choose to teach should be limited to those things that your people most need to hear. In other words, the core principles most appropriate to your target audience. These are what we refer to as the irreducible minimums of learning. John Cohn, the vice president of Dell Computer Corporation's Dell University, has said, The teaching philosophy of most companies today is similar to that of the schools I went to. Lots of people sitting in a classroom with an expert up front telling you things. I've always thought that if that was the natural way for people to learn, we ought to see four-year-olds on the playground spontaneously forming themselves into rows. The natural way to learn is simply to be who we are and to do what we do. Kids learn by doing things, and they learn new things when they need to know them. If you are responsible for training in your organization, you must learn to prioritize information. You have to take a look at what your target audience needs to know and separate what is most important from what is just interesting. Why? Because you have a limited amount of time to communicate with these people. And when it comes to information, all knowledge is not equal. There are facts that would be nice to know, and then there is information that is really interesting. But much more important, there's a body of knowledge that is critical for certain individuals in your organization to understand. Good teachers begin by identifying what is most important for their students to know. Teach with the end in mind. We have taken thousands of leaders through a mental exercise that helps explain the idea of irreducible minimums. Andy introduced the idea at our Grow Up conference several years ago. Imagine this. You're about to retire from student ministry. Your pastor has just given you a gold watch. He asks you to stand in front to allow people to come up and thank you for all your years of dedication. While you stand there, three teenagers walk up to you and thank you for the difference you've made in their lives. Each finishes with this phrase, One thing I learned from you that I'll never forget is... How would you want them to finish that sentence? Take a minute and complete that phrase for yourself. Write down at least three different things that you would love to hear from students who have come through your ministry. Not three experiences, but three things you have taught that you hope they never forget. You have to teach with the end in mind. Think steps, not programs, answers the questions, where do we want people to be? Whereas teach less for more answers the question, what do we want people to become? Your ministry needs to paint a clear picture of what you hope a child will become by the time he or she transitions to middle school. 
You also need to have a good idea of what students should understand when they start high school, when they graduate to college, and so on. When you have established a vision for each stage of a person's life, you have established a way to measure what you teach. This also provides an image for you to use to keep your teachers on the same page. And when you filter everything you teach through this lens, it becomes much easier to decide what you should say as well as what you should not say. When you teach with the end in mind, you are forced to prioritize what you teach. That may include which parts of the Bible you teach. Maybe you feel you are obliged to teach all of the Bible to a specific age group. Don't try to do it. You cannot effectively cram all of the Bible into a few hours each week for a few years. That would be information overload. You would be teaching more for less. Please consider the following observations about teaching Scripture. Read these carefully before accusing us of heresy. The teach less for more practice is based on three premises. The first, all Scripture is equally inspired. We have summed up our entire doctrinal statement with one sentence. We believe that what the Bible says is true, is true. In Second Timothy, Paul writes that all Scripture is inspired, and he goes on to suggest that because it is inspired, the Bible should be the basis for everything we teach. We just don't think it's possible to teach everything in the Bible to every age group. So consider the next premise. All Scripture is not equally important. An extremely questionable statement. Think about it for a minute. We are not suggesting that any one passage is any less inspired than any other. We're just suggesting that some truth is more important than other truth. Isaiah 40.22 says, He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. This is an inspired passage. Some believe this description of a spherical earth intrigued a man by the name of Christopher Columbus. Now consider another passage where the Bible says something about the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. John 3.16 Both passages are equally inspired. But do you really think both passages are equally important? If you had only one opportunity to teach a group of kids about one of those two passages, which one would you choose? Not convinced? Check out Matthew 22, 37 and 38, when Jesus emphatically describes a specific commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. To be the first and the greatest commandment, he clearly establishes the fact that some truths are more important than others. And this leads us to a third logical premise. All scripture is not equally applicable. If you've worked with different age groups, you know this is true. There may be key truths that are important to teach at every stage, but there are others that are just not as applicable for a specific age group. That's the reason we don't teach preschoolers about the beast described in Revelation, or we don't tell our kindergarten groups the details about David and Bathsheba. It makes more sense to help the young kids grow in their understanding of God as a heavenly father and Jesus as someone who wants to be their friend forever. Imagine talking to fifth graders about the genealogy of the Bible. It's just too much. It's not something that would even make sense in their world. But with the hormones raging in the teen world, we may do an entire series on David and Bathsheba or Joseph and Potiphar's wife. The goal of Teach Less for More is to identify and package a handful of must-know, can't-be-without, age-appropriate principles for each target group. 
If you work with high schoolers, for example, you need to be realistic about how much time you will actually have with them before they graduate. If yours is like most student ministries, you will spend about 150 hours with those who come in your programs consistently. So the question is, what are you going to say in the time you have? You need to streamline your curriculum. This is true for teachers of every age group. Some things are just more significant than others. Of course, you should never compromise the stories or principles that reinforce the essentials of faith, scripture that helps someone understand salvation, grace, faith, and other critical aspects of the gospel should definitely be a priority. The key is taking the time to decide beforehand what the big issues are for each group and then establishing them as your irreducible minimums. Remember, these carefully selected truths are not all that is important, but what are most important for your target audience to know. The Principle at Work Several years ago, I sat in a room with parents and teachers to rethink what we needed to teach our children. At the time, I had four children in their elementary school years. As we searched through different curriculums, I kept looking for a printed master plan, something from each publisher that would answer such questions as, what do we hope children will understand when they grow up, and what are the biblical truths we consider to be critical for this age group to embrace? Many curriculums are arranged thematically. Some attempt to take a class through the entire Bible chronologically over a couple of years. Every curriculum tries to be age-appropriate, and each publisher strives to make sure theirs is biblically sound. The problem is that too few have been developed with the end in mind. When you look at a typical publisher's scope and sequence and review the curriculum's multi-year track, you should always ask yourself one key question. What will this curriculum help my child to ultimately become? Every class, every teacher should be equipped with a master plan that specifically identifies what they want someone to become as a result of what they teach. Teaching without a master plan is like choosing random puzzle pieces from different boxes and trying to force them to fit together. You'll never have a big picture for your staff, leaders, volunteers, and even parents to see and work toward. The Luke 2.52 model. The concept of Luke 2.52 has always been a challenge for me as a leader and a dad. The concept that Jesus grew up, quote, in the wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, unquote, provides a clear model for spiritual growth. Shortly after my children were born, I adopted it as a personal goal for them and any other children I was responsible to lead. It is a short, simple passage, but it answers the question, what do I want my children to become? Based on this verse, We have divided a child's spiritual growth into three categories, wisdom, faith, and friendship. We have determined that three specific issues are critical to helping a child become a healthier believer. Number one, the ability to make wise decisions based on the truth of Scripture. Number two, a willingness to put their faith in God through every situation of life. And number three, their demonstration of love and kindness to the people in their world. These three concepts have been crafted into concise statements that we use to challenge parents and leaders. We want every kid to grow up and come away from upstreet and kid stuff and say, I need to make the wise choice. I can trust God no matter what. I should treat others the way I want to be treated. These phrases provide the filter for everything we teach to children. We created a curriculum called 252 Basics, 
that organizes Bible stories, scriptural principles, drama, and creative lesson plans around these three concepts. From the moment a child walks through the door, every activity reinforces one principle over and over. Our Bible story time always positions Scripture as the source of wisdom. The worship always emphasizes the power and love of God as the one we can trust. Small groups allow an opportunity for kids to be with friends, to dialogue about their faith, and encourage each other. Here's the point. When you decide what you want a child to become, it changes the way you teach. And when every parent, teacher, and small group later gets on the same page, that child has a much better chance of becoming what you hope they will become. You teach less and get more. Irreducible Minimums from North Books Playbook Our goal is simple. We identify a set of essential truths for every age group. We then give our leaders and staff permission to teach these principles over and over again for the sake of learning and applying them. Here are some of the examples from our various age groups. We want our preschoolers to walk away knowing that 1. God made me, 2. God loves me, and 3. Jesus wants to be my friend forever. We want our children to walk away knowing 1. I need to do the wise thing, 2. I can trust God no matter what, and 3. I should treat others the way I want to be treated. We want our middle school and high school students to graduate knowing I can trust God in every area of my life. Two, when I see as God sees, I will do as God says. And three, purity paves the way to intimacy. And four, my friends will determine the direction and quality of my life. And five, in light of my past experience and future dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? Six, I must consider the interests of others ahead of my own. And seven, maximum freedom is found under God's authority. The teach less for more concept can also be applied beyond age groups. For example, we have recently had conversations about defining the irreducible minimums for our staff, for our small group leaders, for leadership, etc. Four steps to teach less for more. To teach less for more involves a four-step process. Number one, decide what you are going to say. So many teaching resources are now available that it's possible for churches to teach for years and never repeat anything. Therefore, our leaders are responsible for determining early on what is important for our people to learn. Each department has spent time zeroing in on the primary core of information to be conveyed to their particular season of life group. By targeting the needs of each specific age group and then prioritizing our teaching to address those needs, we have established the irreducible minimums for every department. Number two, decide to say one thing at a time. The teach less for more concept not only means we prioritize the core of information we try to teach, but that we also say less each time we meet. Traditional preaching tries to squeeze as much information as possible into every message with alliterated lists designed to instill several life principles each week in the hearts and minds of listeners. The problem is that people do not learn that way. Too much information may, in fact, have a canceling effect. That is, multiple ideas or concepts can actually compete with each other for the listener's attention and retention. If you introduce a thought and then quickly jump to a different thought, you are now competing with your first thought. And with every additional idea you introduce, you diminish the effectiveness of the prior ideas you have already presented. Our preschoolers and children's directors recently read The Tipping Point, 
in which author Malcolm Gladwell makes several interesting observations about what makes messages stick with audiences. In a chapter called The Stickiness Factor, Gladwell illustrates the canceling effect in terms of television advertising. According to a study done by one advertising research firm, when there were at least four different 15-second commercials in a two-and-a-half-minute commercial timeout, the effectiveness of any one 15-second ad sinks to zero. On the other hand, as we have discovered that when people walk away from one of our services clearly understanding a single principle, they are much more likely to apply that principle in their daily lives. Number three, decide how you're going to say it. Communication is really about engaging the mind and the heart of the listener, and so it is important to appeal to a variety of learning styles. So we spend time working on a variety of ways to enhance the message. There is nothing unique or distinctive about the tools we use. Drama, video, music, humor, anything that will amplify and clarify what we are trying to say. What's important is that everything, in fact, complements the bottom line. For example, we have discovered that we can have so much going on that it actually confuses a younger audience. And when an audience gets confused, they disengage. Number four, say it over and over again. What is worth remembering is always worth repeating. Repetition is not bad. Repetition is how we learn. One of the myths that teachers buy into is the idea that you have to keep a student's interest by constantly introducing them to new information. As Andy would say, presentation, not information, engages a student's imagination. The more creative you are with your presentation, the more effective you will be in communicating relevant information. You can listen to 10 different versions of the Good Samaritan story, and they can all teach you about God's unconditional love. But the one that will stick with you will be the one that was packaged in an engaging and relevant way. We already hear the same information over and over. The problem is not finding new things to teach, but in making a better presentation of what is timeless, so that it will never be considered irrelevant. Sidebar, take them on a journey from North Point's playbook. When it comes to the average Sunday morning sermon, most communicators seem to think that more is better. More points, more stories, more verses, more of everything. So instead of going home with a lot of good ideas, the average listener often walks away with none. Choosing instead to teach less for more, Andy Stanley sees his role as that of a guide inviting people on a journey, a journey that leads to one life-changing principle. The task is to engage the congregation and take them on an expedition to discover and take home that life-changing principle. Music, drama, and video are among the elements used as vehicles for the journey. These elements should deliver a message that is headed in the same direction as the sermon. In preparation for Sunday morning, creative planning revolves around a written brief, or the main point we are trying to get across to the audience. Predetermining the bottom line and putting it in writing for everyone involved helps to ensure that every creative component will complement the principle. We have found that it is too easy to waste an enormous amount of creative energy and frustrate talented thinkers when they have no clear bottom line to keep them on the right track. By keeping her team focused on a single bottom line, Julie Arnold, our Director of Worship Service Programming, is able to craft the entire service around getting people to remember one thing. This increases the stickiness factor, giving a well-crafted bottom line principle a much better chance to stick in the mind of each listener. Focus on just one truth 
or principle, and you enhance the potential of every listener to really get it. Why Churches Teach More for Less There are a number of reasons churches find it difficult to establish Teach Less for More as a practice in their organizations. It's easier to teach more for less than it is to teach less for more. Conventional methods are just easier. When you teach a list of multiple points, you can spend a few minutes developing each idea. But if you teach one principle, you have to creatively amplify and explain it until it is thoroughly understood. Secondly, the context of ministry tends to be more demanding than the content. Sunday comes every week, and there are a lot of urgent needs screaming at the leader. Most of it has to do with the context of ministry. You have to select music, arrange the room, coordinate technical needs, find more leaders, and so on. But what if you could spend at least an equal amount of time each week on what is actually to be taught? In fact, the context should become secondary to the content. Everything about your environment, the songs, the decor, the video, the signage, should reinforce the content. Third, they have bought into the myth about going deep. Some teachers will play the need-to-go-deeper card to justify their style of teaching. Too many churches have been turned into classrooms. Some leaders have been programmed to teach that way, while others think they are going deeper, when in reality their lessons are going over someone's head. When you teach less for more, it doesn't mean you water down your message. It just means that you focus. Like food or drink, a message that is concentrated is much stronger than one that is diluted. Fourth, they worry about not having enough to say. Every teacher fears being in front of an audience and running out of material. Saying more about one thing requires more study, but your goal is not to fill your time slot with plenty of words. The object of communication is not to cover a lot of material, but rather to make sure people learn. As Howard Hendricks would say, if the student hasn't learned, the teacher hasn't taught. Fifth, they fear they will leave something out. The temptation is to explain everything about a subject so that no one misunderstands. When teaching about God's grace, for example, there's a tendency to make sure everyone knows where you stand on God's judgment. The concept of teach less for more suggests that if you have a master plan, you will ultimately say everything you need to say on a subject. It's okay if you don't cover every side of an issue during one sermon. Again, in your attempt to explain everything, your audience may not understand anything. Another reason is what they teach is predetermined by entities outside their ministry. When I was in my 20s, I worked with teenagers. The curriculum we were given by our denomination seemed outdated and irrelevant. So I decided on my own to change it. A few weeks into the new program, I received a phone call from a concerned father. While trying to justify the switch in materials, I remember finally saying, the main reason is that all the students just think it's boring. I'll never forget the father's response. He said, what does that have to do with anything? It was boring when I grew up using it. Soon after, I got a call from our denominational curriculum representative. Unfortunately, what you teach may be influenced by a number of outside forces. And my experience has been that denominations can provide some great resources, but sometimes their approach seems threatened by newer and more relevant methods. Just remember, the denomination is not directly responsible for the spiritual life of the individuals who attend your church. You are. 
Once you have identified the irreducible minimums of your ministry, you must decide what resources best fit with what you're trying to say. Don't let someone else sell you something they want you to say. From time to time, people ask us, what curriculum do you use? A better question is, what do you teach your kids? If you don't know the answer to the second question, it really doesn't matter what curriculum you choose. And finally, they're confused about the difference between information and application. The first time I spoke in church was a defining moment for me. I received several compliments from those who listened, and at lunch I was fishing for a response from my dad. I'll never forget what he said. It was pretty good, but next time when you're speaking, you need to think about all those people who live in the real world. It stung, but it was true. People who live in the real world have a way of seeing through empty cliches and superficial principles. It's easy to speak on any subject if you have done enough research and you can come up with plenty of material. But people are not going to listen to you if you're teaching something they really don't need. When you're looking over your lesson or sermon notes, the question to ask yourself is not, is it true? Is it interesting? Is it creative? Is it passionate? Is it entertaining? Instead, ask yourself, is it helpful? If it isn't helpful, then it isn't relevant. My son's first year in high school was an education for me. That first winter, we studied through the night for a literature exam that counted for 25% of his final grade. I was drilling my son on Shakespearean drama when about 1 o'clock in the morning, after hours of trying to guess what he needed to memorize, he looked at me and said, Why do I need to know this? I could tell he was frustrated, and so I gave him the classic 10-minute fatherly speech about the benefits of education and that he was learning to learn. My son was unimpressed. Do you know what I really need to know, he asked. A little surprised that there was actually something he was interested in learning, I replied, what do you need to know? Then he smiled and said, I need to know how to dance. Homecoming is in a few weeks, and I think that's something that is important to know. I have thought about that conversation a lot over the past few years. People attend churches every week and listen to someone teach Shakespeare when what they really want to know is how to dance. Kids show up at our programs, and even though they never say it out loud, they are dealing with a mess at home and are hoping someone will teach them the right moves. Our teenagers are facing incredible temptations and personal issues, and they come to our church because they need to know how to take the next step without tripping over their own feet. Shakespeare may be interesting, but for most of us it is not very helpful. People need teachers who will reprioritize what they are communicating. They need leaders who will take them by the hand and teach them how to dance. Improving your game, discussion questions. Identify a handful of must-to-know, can't-be-without, age-appropriate principles or irreducible minimums for each target group in your church married adults, high school students, preschoolers, etc. State your irreducible minimums in a creative way that your leaders and volunteers can remember. Practice crafting in a memorable way the bottom line you hope to communicate in a recent message or lesson. Evaluate a recent worship service and identify which elements, music, drama, announcements, did not complement the focus of the message. Remember, the goal is for everything to reinforce the bottom line. If you were approaching the same service this Sunday, what could you change to effectively teach less for more? 
and brainstorm some new tools or creative elements you can use to enhance your productions or environments.